There's no quote on this book, so I was just going to say that I don't think Ray Bradbury had anything to do with this book. <laughs> what quote? Like, oh, at the beginning? Usually I read a quote that's mm. on the book. Mm-hmm. Definitely took me a long time when you were just talking about the title of the book and you told me the title of the book. Took maybe like a few weeks to to realize that it wasn't a Ray Bradbury. Okay, you should say that on the episode. I will. Let's we're on the air. I already did. We're on the air. Oh, great, oh. great, great. I'm Sean. And I'm Mimi. And I'm Lindsay. Again. Thanks for coming again, Lindsay. You're welcome. My dinosaur pleasure. So tell us the history of your love of dinosaurs. Oh. And your life story. What's your favorite dinosaur? Okay. My whole life story. Wow. Uh, When I was a little kid, I would tell everyone that I wanted to be a paleontologist when I grew up. That was at a time when people probably wouldn't know that I was able to pronounce the word paleontologist because I was so little. Just kind of really like dinosaurs a lot. And now I have a really large collection of dinosaur-themed clothing, some of which I'm wearing right now, mm-hmm. including socks, a shirt, and a hat. <laughs> so I came dressed for the occasion. My favorite dinosaur is kind of the classic Stegosaurus. Oh, yeah. 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 It's my favorite. Um, And also, I was trying to look up some additional fun facts about Stegosaurus to share with you. And one thing I saw was that it was one of the dinosaurs that was originally believed to have the secondary brain in the lower half of the body, which they mention in this book. But uh, they pretty much quickly found out that's not a thing. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) even know about that. There's something there, but it's definitely not a brain. But in this book, they talk about how you have to shoot it in both brains to kill it. Is a stegosaurus also a giant bird? I mean, all dinosaurs. (laughs) Yeah, but just imagining a bird in that funny shape. It's a funny bird. It doesn't have wings, and they have four (laughs) legs, right? Just each, like, Spine is an individual wing, maybe. <laughs> do you mean do they have feathers? Yeah. Oh, okay. I imagine like a big feathery, funny, like I imagine basically the land before time stegosaurus, but then covered in feathers. That seems pretty fun. It does. Like a big pinata. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to just, yeah, that's how I'm going to think of them from now on. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, my favorite dinosaur is also Stegosaurus. Is wow. clearly the best one. Nice. Yeah, me too. Wow. If only this book was about Stegosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> Although, we do get one Stegosaurus cameo, I think. Do we not? Or is that a Triceratops? Let me let me refer to my picture index in the center of my book. Ah, it's a Triceratops. Not a Stegosaurus. Triceratops, though, is like pretty far up there in it's dinosaurs. It's a good one. It's a pretty good one. Oh, yeah. 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 And then... Um, the one with the the morning star as a tail. Ankylodon. Yeah, that one's also up there. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. 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 What about a, a, a Garrick? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a real dinosaur. Okay. The cover of this book is pretty good. 
Yeah, that's why I picked it up. Yeah, it's... Oh, yeah. 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 It definitely entices you to pick it up. Just the color design is mm-hmm. really good. The pink back and side and the bright green T-Rex. And then, like, the guy with the red and silver... And then with the gold raised lettering, it all is very pleasing to look at. I agree. Oh, yeah. 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 In a very, like, aesthetic way. (laughs) It's very 80s, except (laughs) it's right on the tailwind of the 80s book cover design. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like the back, which is just, it's like hot pink and yellow and this mishmash of fonts. It almost looks like an old point-click adventure game. Like, these would pop up. Yeah. In, like, different fonts or something. They have, like, one little, like, pixelated font in the center. It's very CMYK colorscape. But the cover is a big T-Rex and a guy with a really funny gun and headset (laughs) aiming to fire. Yeah. It's like his gaming mic. Oh, my God. (laughs) This whole time... I thought that was just like a scrap of red fabric. I thought it was kind of like he had ramp- a bandana. Oh, he looks kind of like like a little rombo, like rombo, <laughs> yeah, headdress, That's, yeah. But situation. he's just a big nerd. Okay, but rombo <laughs> is when you take a Roomba and put a bandana and like a oh, gun no. on it. <laughs> you learn something new every day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have a bit of like trouble with his legs it does look like so it looks like the left one is supposed to be going straight and the right one then bends but if you look at it too hard the perspective gets messed up in your head and it looks like one of his legs is bent the wrong way or they're like (laughs) flipped does that happen to you guys it looks like he's attached to like a cord like in a movie that they're like filming him and it looks like he's like leaning back at an (laughs) angle that just would not at all work oh yeah 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 um but so this book is not by Ray Bradbury. No. It is by Stephen Lay. Yeah. Lee? Stephen Lee. Probably it's probably Lee. So I did look into Stephen Lee, who is not Ray Bradbury. He's a Goodreads author and still active on Goodreads. Still alive. This really... book isn't that old, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> he has a really extensive website. Yeah. A lot so... of information. I did notice that his Goodreads biography is not totally up to date. He's written some books that are too underground for Goodreads. On his Goodreads page, it says that he studies the Japanese martial art Aikido. <laughs> in which I he- would never know that. <laughs> if only he included it in one of his books that I've read. Uh, in which he holds the rank of Sandan. But... On his personal website, it says that he holds the rank of Yodan, or fourth degree black belt. Oh, okay. So the Goodreads doesn't know that he's advanced a lot farther. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 In my version, I don't know if it was in your version, there's a little bit of a biography about him there, but it starts with a biography of Ray Bradbury, yeah. mm-hmm. who presented this book. And it begins, Ray Bradbury, one of the greatest writers of fantasy and horror fiction in the world. And goes on about how he's written over 500 stories, novels, plays, and poems. Then, a page later, there's a bit of information about Stephen Lee, who wrote some books. <laughs> An author of several science fiction novels. <laughs> uh, and, uh... Uh, he lives in Ohio. 
Yeah, in our copy of the book, the hard copy, they're on the same page, so you can really get a visual representation of, of just how little there is about the actual author of the book and how cool Ray Bradbury is. So sad. So yes, in case you don't already know, Ray Bradbury is famous for writing over 500 middle school homework assignments. <laughs> <laughs> this book, Dinosaur World, is the first book in a series the ray bradbury presents dinosaur world series so it's only this dinosaur uh series that he's presenting i think so okay because i initially thought it was like ray bradbury picking some books he thought were re- was really were good <laughs> <laughs> thought are good <laughs> he thought good uh-huh. <laughs> Thought to be good. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Thought to be good. And then, you know, made sure they got published and had his name so they'd sell better. That's definitely what I thought, too. But it seems more like he wrote a short story and then someone asked him if they could write something related to that. And he said, okay. And then they just slapped his name <laughs> on the top of it. Well, this is also a direct, immediate sequel to the short story. Are we missing out? Since we haven't read it? I read it. Okay. Am you're I not missing, missing out? Much, since but I no, read you're it? not missing much. <laughs> There's not much to it. And it's. I mean, you could definitely tell it was written by Ray Bradbury and not Stephen Lee, but that's yeah. probably <laughs> the extent of what you're missing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so A Sound of Thunder is the original short story. You can find it on the internet, it's like a 10 page PDF. The PDF that I found has homework assignments included. Mm-hmm. Of course. So um, I think every Ray Bradbury book just has that in the back now. <laughs> There's like a quiz at the end of every yeah. edition. <laughs> These are not great assignments. Things like create a handwritten timeline to illustrate the important events of this story. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read those at the end of the short story and then I was like, because I read the short story after I finished reading the book, uh-huh. not as, a, like, a prequel. And I read those homework assignments, and, like, my brain immediately was like, what if I had to make a handwritten timeline of all the events in Dinosaur World? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, God. That would be tough. Oh, yeah. 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 It's the butterfly effect. It's the future. There's time travel. And the thing that we do with time travel is let rich people kill dinosaurs. So Eccles is a guy who wants to kill a dinosaur. Costs $10,000. Real steep. I feel like in 10 (laughs) years, even the poorest people will be able to afford that. Also, everybody's really concerned about the current election that's going on. And then they go back in time. They, They goof it up really bad and... Eccles steps on a butterfly. He literally crushes a butterfly. Yes. And then they go back to their time, and everything is almost the same except a little bit different. Like the wrong guy won the election. And everything's spelled differently. Oh, yeah. And then Travis. He was the guide. Dinosaur killer tour guide. Yeah. He shifts his rifle. He clicks the safety catch and raises the weapon. And then there was a sound of thunder. Implying that he killed Eccles. But that's immediately retconned once we get to Dinosaur World. Right. And he kills him in the future? 
Or do they go back to the past and he kills him? In the future. Okay. I'm going to assign you some homework. What was the <laughs> point of this short story? Okay. Just retell the butterfly effect a little bit? There's so much explanation about time travel. The entire point of the story seems to be that if you go back in time and change something, it will change, you know, the course of history. Even if it's a little thing like stepping on a butterfly. But pretty much only that because that's exactly what Mm -hmm. he does. And the other things that they do have no effect. It's the butterfly. Do they explain the whole system of finding the dinosaur to kill like they do in this one? Yes. Okay. Don't yeah. they? They like find exactly a dinosaur that's about to die from some other cause, and they kill it like a minute before that. <laughs> yeah. And also, after they kill it and shoot it, they have to reach inside of it and take out all of the bullets out of the dinosaur, because the bullets could have some... Yeah, another dinosaur behind. could find it, like a stegosaurus walks up. And just... A bullet. <laughs> what does this mean? And then all of a sudden there's stegosauruses and guns. Yeah. <laughs> there's some incredibly infuriating explanations about this concept. This, no, this is an example. In the book. In the book. In the short story. Okay. If you went back in time and you accidentally killed one mouse, then all that mouse's descendants wouldn't ever be born. So it's like you're killing a million mice, and that would cause a huge famine. That's a bit different from the original theory. <laughs> um. Anyway, it felt like there was room in this story, as short as it was, for other ideas. Like how messed up it is that all rich people want to do with their money is kill dinosaurs. Right. Even for Ray Bradbury, that seems a little thoughtless as a sick burn. Like, Eccles is probably a pretty bad guy, but he's not really portrayed that way. Just kind of a little bit bumbling. I was going to use that exact same word. He's just a (laughs) a curious, bumbling, time-traveling hunter. Billionaire. Billionaire. No, (laughs) $10,000. (laughs) $10,000. Um... I'm pretty sure there's a Simpsons episode that is, you know, the same story. Sure. And it's um, where Homer's life is suddenly incredible, but in this timeline, donuts don't exist. <laughs> like, that's obviously ridiculous, but that's about the level of the changes in the actual short story here. That we would go through a million years of evolution and the only thing that changes is who wins a certain election. But everything else. It's because of that mouse famine (laughs) that that guy won. (laughs) There's also a little chunk in here that talks about, like, what would happen if we went back or forward in time and we ended up meeting ourselves and they say oh well time doesn't permit that sort of thing that doesn't happen (laughs) time just steps aside but in the book that's like a huge issue yeah how they like they have programmed the software in the time machine specifically to never allow that from happening because it theoretically could happen and that would be very very bad so I'm not sure how Stephen Lee read this and then decided <laughs> just to make his own set of rules, but also use these characters. Yeah, why even make this a sequel? Yeah, why if, not just tell a time travel story about dinosaurs? Uh, yeah, well, 
think we'll come back to how to rewrite this. Mm. <laughs> but reading this short story doesn't... I don't think I would be that interested in the sequel, but... That's why I read it second after. <laughs> but, uh, all right, let's get into Dinosaur World. Ray Bradbury presents Dinosaur World. Mine doesn't have a prologue, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, oh, like a prologue other than this? Oh, do you mean that? No. Yeah. You know. mean this? Oh, yes. Wow. So Dinosaur time. <laughs> this isn't a prologue. This is dinosaur time. Actually, yours, is, yours says Atina's dinosaur time. Yours has a stamp in it. But also, what if the back, instead of a synopsis, it just said dinosaur time? <laughs> synopsis of the book. I'd probably be more likely to pick it up. Uh, yeah, in, in my copy, it was called the prologue. It just starts you right off facing death in lizard form. It's it's just their encounter with an Allosaurus. This is pretty common in all the books I read where it's just a like an advertisement for the book to get you to buy it. But calling it the prologue in your version changes it a little bit. Yeah, I just having it start with this, it was like... They're really trying to tell you, like, did you think this book was going to be boring and educational? Because you were wrong. Hold on to your butts, kids. There's going to be dinosaurs. And this snippet, though, is taken right from chapter two, like right at the start of the book. Did the publisher think that kids weren't going to make it, you know, through chapter one? Right. It should have been later. But I think they were probably right because chapter one was horrible. Chapter one was arguably the worst part of this entire book, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, so in chapter one, we're introduced to Aaron Cofield and Jennifer Mason. Hold on. Well, chapter one has a name. <laughs> and oh. the name of chapter one is The Egg-Laying Bear. <laughs> the best part of chapter one. <laughs> the title. <sighs> Okay, so Aaron and Jennifer, Aaron's going to go away to college. It's her last summer together. They have we, a lot of feelings. Yeah. And emotions. They are together, a couple. And then it's just all high school drama and gossip and who dated who. It made me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> and also like I would have hated this as a kid. <laughs> Right. No 18-year-old is going to enjoy this, which is the age of the characters. And no 12-year-old is going to want to read that garbage. <sighs> yeah. But then they find a dinosaur egg. Yeah, everything changes. <laughs> <laughs> then what? They call up Peter, Peter Finnegan, mm -hmm. who's Jennifer's ex. Boyfriend. <laughs> and Aaron's ex-best friend. Yeah. yeah. They took a keto together. <laughs> for a while, but Peter wasn't up to it, says Aaron in his mind. Yeah, what, so Aaron did a keto, and then Peter switched to... Something easier, not as not as cool as uh, Just some other martial arts, not some as good as a keto. inferior martial art. <laughs> um, yeah, Peter has a better camera than anyone. So. Oh, is that why they yeah, called him? Yeah, this is why Why... Why did they're anyone... using him for the camera? I see. I figured he was like the only person they knew even with a camera. It's nineteen ninety. Well, it's published in nineteen ninety two. I don't know. Ooh, we don't kids. have no idea when this is set, but yeah, sure. Imagine it's like 
a big like film SLR camera. Maybe not just like a point and shooter. Has the ability to develop film. Like, Maybe oh, we need these pictures now. Yeah, one hour processing. <laughs> I think I'm confusing this with the other dinosaur book. I was like, oh, it's a Polaroid, obviously. No, no, no. Not in this book. No, no. Um, Okay. Peter is trash. (laughs) (laughs) He starts off horrible, and he only gets worse throughout the book. I thought he was fine at the beginning, because it was like, oh, they don't really like him. There's, like, character interaction but then as the book goes on you're like okay what is he a villain what is this (laughs) yeah um well even at the beginning though he's introduced he's someone that like can never be wrong it just some of the scenes where they describe interactions with him gave me like intense flashbacks to some of some of the boys that i knew from high school yeah they get insecure because they don't understand a simple math concept <laughs> that I'm trying to explain. <laughs> and so then they have to like dig in and say, no, actually, you're wrong and I'm, not, I'm right. So then I'm forced to present them with several mathematical proofs that show <laughs> them that no, actually, they're dumb. <laughs> And then they retreat behind, well, everyone has their opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So in case anyone was wondering why I was bullied, (laughs) now you know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Peter definitely, while extraordinarily annoying, did definitely feel knowable as a character. I'll give him that. Yeah. It's like, I know this person, unfortunately. Several. Aaron and Jennifer were a little bit too, I don't know. They didn't seem realistic as 18-year-olds. No. Right. Um, And Aaron is going to study paleontology, I think, in college. And Jennifer is studying medicine in high school somehow. She's already like... Yeah, she's like a nurse's assistant or something. basically working in an ER emergency room. She also knows Japanese, studies Japanese culture. Uh, but then what's Peter doing with his life? Nothing. Heard. Worthless. <laughs> <laughs> and so this this first chapter like made it super obvious that this is a book for children and not like a young adult book or some of the books we've read that are like accessible to children. I would say even younger than tweens, maybe like 11 or 10. Mm-hmm. But that that makes the first chapter so much worse, too. Yeah. Why are they 18 year olds? Why couldn't they be 12 year olds? Yeah, so I think being four kids, like, at first I was like, this could be good because I'm just going to fly through this thing. I'm going to read it so fast. It'll be fun. But I got so upset reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so hard (laughs) to read through it. I did fly through it pretty fast. Uh, I would get too mad and have to stop. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I just had the, I definitely had the kids book experience word. I'd read like 60 pages in a sitting, no problem. I think I flew through the first half, but then I realized that it wasn't going to get any better. Right. <laughs> like I had reached the peak and then I had to finish it. Okay, so... They, they find f- dinosaur eggs. They find dinosaur eggs and... But I, I think they think that couldn't have been a dinosaur. It has to be something else, hence the egg-laying bear. Although they don't mention that, do they? That part was awful. Okay. Him and Jenny arguing about what could lay the eggs. 
and it goes on and on. Okay. And it's like, who cares? I, uh, <laughs> you don't know. I, wrote I was down, so mad. I wrote down this quote. We all know bears don't lay eggs, don't we? So you owe me dinner tonight, right? Aaron nodded. No problem. There was a long silence. Aaron knew they were both thinking, both speculating. Elephants don't lay eggs either, <laughs> Jennifer said at last. <laughs> yeah, that um, argument lasts for eight pages in the printed oh book that I just counted. <laughs> so like pages nine to kind of reaches page 15 for me oh. in this book. The level of, like, a married couple's argument. <laughs> like, it was that. Felt like they've been together way longer than a high school relationship to be ready to argue that out. And yet, to, to at the same bicker. time, not. <laughs> uh, it was rough. I would say that was the worst part of the book. If I was going to say, I guess that's in chapter one. Okay. Yep. Yep. Chapter one, yep. worst part of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then the book starts. Does it, though? Well, a future man bursts through with a future machine gun, and there's dinosaurs in their forest behind their house. So he bursts in, and then a dinosaur bursts in, and he just kills it in front of these, well, I guess they're 18-year-olds. I think I always imagine them as 11-year-olds anyway, even though they're supposed to be 18. At least Peter. Yeah, there's a giant dinosaur, so I guess... dinosaurs are real. Yeah. Yeah, these were like... Oh, this was the Allosaurus that they face off from the prologue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this is Travis, the future man from the short story, and he's severely injured. They take him back to the house where we meet Grandpa Carl. Travis tells... Why was Grandpa Carl in this book? Because I think Stephen Lee had like probably a really good relationship with his grandfather and missed him very much. That okay. was immediately what I thought and read into that. It was like, oh my god, he loved his grandpa. Okay. That's sweet. But I mean, he was nice, but he didn't do anything. He did nothing. And then also, they run off to do the rest of the book. The grandpa like wanted to go with them, but they just run and leave him behind. They and leave he's him just- with. The dinosaur eggs that are about to hatch. He has a nest of them on his porch and they're gone. And there's just like a moment in the book where it's like about this sad old grandpa and how he wishes he could go to. Yeah, they make it sound like he was like probably pretty adventurous as a kid. Yeah, no, I definitely was just like, oh, he wrote his grandpa into this book. I mean, I can't be sure, but like, that's a sweet gesture. I just... Oh, yeah. 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 Travis, like, he he resists telling the story. No, I can't say. I've said too much. But they don't do any convincing. He's just, okay, well, I'll tell you my story. But he has the most convincing thing. Aaron is like, we've tried everything. I can't tell you. And then Aaron's like, how about you try the truth? <laughs> <laughs> Classic <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> Oh my god. Like I imagine like he flips his hat backwards. <laughs> he has like a Mountain Dew in the other hand. Like, or hops something. on his skateboard. <laughs> or like Sheriff Aaron Cofield, just like, how about the truth, sir? And also say no to drugs. <laughs> uh yeah, Travis is severely, severely injured. Um but Jenny kind of goes back and forth and saying, we need to get him to a hospital immediately. 
And then I think he'll he'll be fine. He can. She's fine. Well, his injury didn't really matter, did it? It Not throughout didn't the whole book. Impede him very much in this first book. It was only there for, to be referenced, like at every moment, but never <laughs> actually to affect his ability to do anything. Oh yeah. 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 Just tell him a story. Yeah, and his story is just an entire chapter-long monologue, and he re-explains the Bradbury story with his own retcons to it because he didn't kill Eccles. Eccles managed to, like, dodge the bullet or get away and then went back to mess up time some more. But um, I was also thinking about this and, like, does that mean these kids only exist in the messed up world? I didn't want to get too nitpicky about the time travel, but the book kind of forces you. It seems to me that the world Aaron and Jenny know would be the world where Eccles crushed the butterfly and went back to the future, saw that he messed up, goes back and explodes a time machine and then launches the path into all the different times. So Jenny and Aaron's time... Like, their existence can only happen if dinosaurs, like, come through at their house. Yeah. So if they fix it, yeah, <laughs> they could not exist. Yeah. Travis's correct time and their correct time is not compatible. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that doesn't even seem like a nitpick because in the story, they do spend a lot of time talking about, like what would exist and what won't exist based on your changes and how if you change something, this whole thing could not exist. And It's kind of a major aspect of yeah, the whole it's, thing. It's a big part of it. So I, I think even a young kid would come to that realization eventually. Yeah, I think there's several major inconsistencies like this. And I wouldn't care if there was a story. Like, pretty much most time travel stories end up not quite making sense. Right. You can find that problem if you dig for it, but if there's a coherent story, you can kind of suspend your disbelief and enjoy the story, but that's there, we don't have that here, and instead we have like just tons of monologues over-explaining these concepts that, that don't make any sense. Yeah. Well, and the plot is the time travel. Yeah. Like, instead of Terminator, where I have to go back in time to kill this guy, so in the future he doesn't exist. And then the the story is him trying to kill this guy. Or, like, that's the action. But the action in this seems, at least for half of the characters, is going back and forth in time trying to change things. So then, if that is the actions, it has to make sense internally of, with the story. Yep. There's an aspect of the time travel, at least what they do on the safari, that we haven't really explained that is that they set up a pathway for right. the hunters to walk on specifically so that they don't interact with any so part of the environment. So they don't step on any butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> specifically. <laughs> they float in the air on a yeah. path. But you can walk on the pathway, but also you can fall through the pathway and travel in time. Well, I think that's just when the time machine breaks. Is like there's some time particles Okay. On the path. 
I did zone out a little bit for the monologue chapter. Okay. So, so I, I don't know exactly what caused this path explosion. Was that just Eccles going to a time that he was already in? Eccles realizes that the butterfly thing is messed up. Travis tries to kill him. He runs away into another time machine and then just goes to the exact time that their first time machine was in the same exact spot. It's not on purpose either, I don't think. No, he's just dumb. He just dives in. And two time machines in the same space in the same time explode. Right. Okay. Good clarification. And apparently that explodes parts of it through time also. Okay. So now, yeah, there's these bits of this time path. And so that's why now dinosaurs are leaking into 1992. And then the kids immediately split up and run into time. Then we get chapters alternating back and forth between Jenny and Peter and Aaron and Travis. But Jenny and Peter go somewhere. And I could not figure out what time they're going to because it doesn't... It seemed to me that the paths, like the broken pieces of paths, are like one-way links. Like if you, if you touch it, you go to one place. If you touch it, you go back to the same place. So two-way links. Right. Like, like a path. Kind <laughs> yeah. Of. Travis goes back through the path to his time machine. Aaron follows him, and they fly away. And then Jenny and Peter travel to the same exact time that Aaron did, but it's changed for some unknown reason to a different thing. But the reason it doesn't make sense is because that would be the first time where Travis and Eccles originally went to to kill the T-Rex. So why have things changed? That should still be the same. Time has not changed before that. So up till there, dinosaurs should be the same as far as I know. Yeah, I thought Jenny and Peter went to a... I thought they took a different path and ended up in a different time. That's what it seems like happened. I also thought that, or at least that the same path took them to two different places, as much as that doesn't make sense with the mechanics. Well, maybe I'm wrong, I guess, but... No, what you explained seems more correct, but the book did not explain it like that, which is frustrating. Jenny and Peter end up somewhere in time. Jenny is sure that... That Aaron is there. They just got to keep going deeper into the forest, away from the path back. The forest is full of little creatures and prehistoric plants. And uh, there's a part of this that was a really great quote that I liked. There were calls echoing through the foliage above them. Bizarre trills and rumbles, frog-like harumphs, and booming nasal honks. (laughs) (laughs) I immediately wrote that down. I thought it was the best three words I'd I'd read so far (laughs) in this chapter. Oh my gosh. Sorry, you can continue. They find where Eccles has been hiding out for what seems like months, years maybe. Again, which would signify that they didn't go back to the same time. So, I don't know. It's confusing as to where the paths send you in time. Do you think it's just random? I would say there's not really a way to tell that because at the (laughs) end, there's something that happens at the end that would make sense with it going back to the same time. But whoops, there was a time storm and it doesn't take you back to this. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I thought (laughs) that there was like a bunch of different things happening because like, I don't know. Like you just left it open-ended enough to be completely confusing (laughs) and not have to make any choices. Or decisions. Um, because they were very sure that they could get back is the only reason. And then also they were sure that Aaron was also there. 
So I guess to but me, he I just wasn't. But how would they? He they would, they don't know anything about. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just accepted just, them yeah, knowing. That I guess was more of their just like I think like disbelief with the situation right. and like. Oh yeah. 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 And then were the samurai coming through a different path okay, or the samurai don't make sense because in the book they say that the time travel machines can't move in space they're in the same position they only go forward and backward in time so that would mean an explosion knocked a piece of the path from ohio or wherever we are illinois what is it i think it's ohio just greentown usa <laughs> yeah all the way to japan so that doesn't make sense so either. I, at first, I also thought that they went to they went to a time and place where samurai coexisted with humanoid dinosaurs. <laughs> no, I think those are supposed to be coming through the path, also. Okay, but I can see how you would think that. <laughs> okay, because we're kind of thrown into the humanoid di- dinosaur world with like zero explanation, like the characters. The humanoid so. dinosaurs don't make any sense at all. That's why it's like. But yeah. we're not quite at the humanoid dinosaurs yet. <laughs> okay. Some stuff happens with Eccles. So, yes, Jenny and Peter found Eccles' hideout where he's been surviving in this harsh world. It's like a cave thing. Um, then Eccles returns to his cave and Peter tries to do a flying karate kick but gets immediately knocked out. Should have known Superior Aikido. How <laughs> there's all these digs at... <laughs> Whatever other form of martial art he's doing. Yeah, I think Peter couldn't handle, like, the mental aspects of a keto. <laughs> yeah. The discipline. Yeah. Um, okay. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's more of a backyard wrestling kind of guy. <laughs> so, Eccles, I don't feel like I ever really got a grasp on what his character was supposed to be. He's kind of all over the place. Because, I don't know, sometimes he's, like, just kind of a, a a bumbling, awkward idiot. And then sometimes he's, um... Like an evil villain. He's, like, this hard, wild man who's been living in a cave. A horrible sex offender. Uh, yes, that too. <laughs> and he, like, monologues at them about how he's going to kill them or sell them into slavery or something. But then he goes back and forth about how he he can still fix the timeline. Like, he's still trying to somehow fix what he's done wrong. Uh, Then he has Jenny tie up Peter for some reason. Stupid. Uh, And so, obviously, she does it, you know, just loose enough that Peter will be able to escape. Then he ties up Peter, uh, makes a bunch of lewd suggestions, which, why? Why was that in here? If this is a book for tweens, but... Like, if this is a book for anyone, why? (laughs) It was completely, like, out of place in the story and the characters. Yeah, Uh, but then he walks away and leaves them totally unsupervised without even bothering to check the the ties that Jenny did. Gotta go do some business (laughs) away. And so then they immediately escape. Peter still manages to complain about Jenny's job of of tying him up because it was a little too tight for him to be comfortable, I guess. Then uh, they are immediately outside the cave, captured again by 
sentient dinosaur people. Right. Then we get the humanoid dinosaurs. Humanoid dinosaurs. They have spears, armor, jewelry. Loincloths. Loincloths cover their genitals. (laughs) Language. Covers their cloacas. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe now's a good time. It's, It's a little later, but there is a reference to... These dinosaurs communicate via scent uh, is a big part of their communication. Mm-hmm. And a little later on in the book, Cloaca reminded me of this. <laughs> there's there's a, a line about how one of these dinosaurs had made a um, scent path through a forest. And then there's a line that says, The large gland at the base of her tail still ached from that long <laughs> exertion. And... That was very hard for me to read because I want to die every time I look at this sentence. That makes me so uncomfortable. I can't believe it. I don't even remember that. I I must have blocked it out. I remembered it the whole time. And I hate it. Anyway. Carry on. All right. So they're put into a little jail. In this little uh, city compound, they're called Mutata. Yeah, the race of does that actually come up in the book? That they're called Mutata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk about it amongst themselves. Like they're like, oh, it's the Mutata this or that, right? Mutata way. No one else knows what they're called except for the dinosaurs. But Uh, there's a picture of the village in the book. The physical book comes with a little sketchbook insert. Best part of the book, by far. Yeah. Some really good dinosaur illustrations yeah. in here. There's good drawings. There's a picture of, like, a cool future guy and a cool gun. Yeah, and he has an elbow protector. That's his <laughs> his uniform is labeled. Remember to wear elbow and pads, kids. Yeah, there's an elbow there's protector. A, a dinosaur fighting a samurai. Uh, these were awesome. Yeah. There's That's, a sketch of the gun. If I was a kid, I would for sure pick up this book based on the cover and these drawings. And then be incredibly disappointed. It's the only reason why I'm glad I now own this book. (laughs) So I can just look at these drawings whenever I feel like it. While they're in jail, Jenny, being so good at languages, begins to attempt to learn their language and communicate with their captors. And Peter continues to be a dumb idiot. He's really a dumb idiot, though. That's like... The best way to describe him, I've never heard of anyone who could be described better as a dumb idiot. He's, uh, like, the whole time he's just, like, making fun of Jenny for trying to do this. How it's lame and stupid. (laughs) It's really stupid. (laughs) Um, um, He's just, like, schoolyard kid dumb. Oh, God. So then they come up with a dumb plan to try to escape, and it fails, and Peter gets bit by the guard lizard. They don't, like, even make it out of the the room that the jail is in. Then we start getting chapters that give us the mutata perspective from the main character, Struth. So we learn that, you know, they've got this whole civilization, They've got a very strict honor code, the ancient path that they follow. They've been hunting Eccles because he's got a gun, he's been shooting and killing them. and They have a really specific way for killing 
at all. And I think that having a someone with a gun is pretty incompatible with the way that they think the yeah. world works. It's, it's pretty it's, shocking. It's very cowardly of him to kill them this way where it's not like, you know. Honorable. Then a new Eccles shows up that doesn't know about any of this. And they capture him and throw him in jail with the kids. But what happened to the old grizzled Eccles? He went off to do his business, and he's never yeah. heard from just again. This again. didn't make sense to me. I thought it was just the same Eccles. I don't know. I feel like it was <laughs> earlier Eccles. Yeah. Like another Eccles from before. Mm-hmm. And then somehow he time-traveled again to go before that? I don't know. But how did he time travel again, especially if the paths are one way? Yeah. And how, okay, why did he show up in a time that there's already an Eccles, and why did that not cause a problem? And these are all great questions. I agree. I think what I thought was like when we first meet him in the cave, he seems to be not entirely like present. Like he's talking to himself a lot. He's doing a bunch of stuff. So it wasn't inconceivable to me that he would not then later be captured show up and like not remember anything that happened or these kids because he wasn't really present within himself but but also they comment on his looks as well like he's like a different weight or something or like less grizzled right like so just strange more like a different eccles there was no explanation for it (laughs) and the the grizzled old eccles doesn't ever come back and no one even asks about him (laughs) so uh anyway the three of them are now in jail (laughs) and and he tells them that travis was lying about him whatever he said and then They're like, okay, well, tell us your story. And he's like, no, you say your story first. (laughs) And they say, okay. Yeah, they're dumb kids, and so they do it. And it's like, that would have been a really easy way for Eccles to, like, trick them so he could make up, you know, his own lies based on what they know or don't know. But he didn't really. That didn't happen. It didn't matter. He didn't tell a very convincing story even then. But... Eccles' story was basically that actually this whole thing was Travis's fault because Travis is poor and (laughs) that's why he messed the whole thing up. And I was like, okay, he's like not taking responsibility for the things that he did and he's, you know, really got this weird view of Travis. But then we cut to a chapter with Aaron and Travis talking and it kind of turns out this is correct and confirmed by Travis and Aaron talking about it. Like, like what? <laughs> also, why? Yeah. <laughs> so, Struth from the Mutata is the only one who believes that the kids, you know, are intelligent beings and deserve the proper treatment for a sentient being. And she doesn't want them to be executed they have to do a test on them. They're not. They're. They don't trust Struth. The elder of the tribe doesn't doesn't want to just believe that they're intelligent. Sounds like no one trusts her because she had sort of a like radical mentor who's now exiled from the community. Yes. Um, let's let's not forget that Struth is a dinosaur. Yeah. Also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Throughout this. <laughs> Just remember this truth is a dinosaur. Uh, 
they're going to do a test to see if the kids know their honor code and rituals. And Struth is like, well, that's not really fair. They're not going to know. She she wants to teach them and give them a chance. And they tell her, no, she's not allowed to teach the rituals, but she can teach the language. So that's what she does. She and Jenny do a lot of sessions really fast because the timeline of this book doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Luckily, I think she's really good at learning languages. Oh, she's yeah. really smart. She already like learned Japanese and has been studying yeah. Japanese for a long time because she thought that would be a useful language. <laughs> so and, uh, like this is easy. She's got this. Yes, so they're getting along great, speaking the language. I thought their their relationship was kind of nice, whatever little bit of it there I, was. I think the the Struth section was like the peak of this book. Yeah, that's yes. definitely the best it got. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But then the whole time you've got to deal with Peter and Eccles. <laughs> So while Jenny is, like, struggling to learn this language where she can't even, you know, make all the sounds because she doesn't have a duck bill. She can't fart the right scents. (laughs) No, she can't. She can't control her scent glands. And it's very confusing for Struth. Then Peter immediately tells Eccles all the juicy gossip about how he and Jenny used to date and how they (laughs) broke up. How she's with Aaron now, his ex-best friend. Oh, my God. And it's like, Peter, why? And so he tells all this stuff to Eccles. And Eccles immediately decides to use this knowledge against Jenny. And then Peter takes Eccles' side on everything. Even though Eccles has been a total creep. And they know that his future self attacks them and is about to sell them to slavers. Yeah, it was pretty gross. It's like typical man-boy fashion. It's like... Not being any help, just deciding to be bro friends with the other guy there instead of actually helping just because someone said you were wrong and you were wrong. So you're saying realistic character. Very realistic, <laughs> like I said, knowable. Very knowable. Oh my god. And like Jenny keeps trying to argue with Peter about this, about how, like, why is he trusting Eccles over her? And it's not like Eccles is like really proposing any plan to fix anything or get out of there other than just like running or killing them which they've already tried but he just thinks jenny's lame for trying to learn this dinosaur language they just really connected at the dick level you know (laughs) (laughs) it's a really good way to summarize that um all right so then we get to the ritual and jenny uses some like context clues uh, to figure out what she needs to do. Like she's noticing small details, like there's dried blood in this bowl and they like give her a knife and like she kind of has to guess, but she comes up with, she like cuts her arm and fills this bowl with blood. And I think the way they described it, she cuts her arm at like literally like the inner elbow. Uh-huh. And uh, that, it's like usually I'm used to people cutting their palms for <laughs> things like this. Even that seems horrible, but like the inner elbow just, that freaked me out. So I really thought this was going to go like a god direction here where like turned out their rituals like there's a cross with a dinosaur on it or something. <laughs> and then this book was going to be like, ah, oh, religion is real because look, even the savages know it. <laughs> And that's how they, like, determine that Jenny's sentient, that she oh also knows God. about God. I'm glad it didn't go that way, but no. I also really wanted, like, a crucified Jesus dinosaur. <laughs> it would have been very different, but... 
Maybe better. Oh, my. No, the rest of the ritual involves then pouring the blood onto... A dead dinosaur. Yeah, and who... The one that um, that Eccles shot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then they all share in dinosaur's flesh. No. No, just scavengers. Just the birds. There's, like, these oh. vulture things that hang up in the ceiling, and they're, like, wow. all waiting. That's one of the context clues she figures out, because she's oh. like, these birds seem like they're waiting for something, wow. and they know what's going to happen. It's like, I guess they're probably going to eat this dead dinosaur. Wow, okay. But no. that would be much more, like, symbolic. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that the, the whole tribe of dinosaurs, like, ate their <laughs> fallen friend. I thought it was, like, Dune. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, and then, like, even the the first part of this, she follows the stance that they do when they're, like, in front of the elder where you kind of expose your neck so that you're you're vulnerable and to show respect. And Jenny figures this all out. She does it, and she tells Peter what to do. And Peter's like, no, I don't want to. That's lame. (laughs) And, like, and Jenny tells him, don't be dumb. But then she realizes that she's made a huge mistake (laughs) and that's the worst thing she could have said to him because now she's damaged his fragile ego. (laughs) It would show me how smart you are if you joined me in this. (laughs) All the cool people, like these dinosaurs. Um, So, yeah, and then he just doesn't do it. And so... I don't even know what he's doing just standing there like, how yeah? How could you? He's playing a Game Boy. <laughs> I mean, they make this environment out to be like a pretty terrifying, like, and really intense. I don't know. Yeah. So then the um, the elders decide that uh, Peter is an animal, and they order Struth to kill him. And it's like, well, perfect outcome. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought they were going to do it like a million times. I was waiting for it. I I, I was ready for that to happen. This is about to get like really intense and serious for this book for children, but I'd be fine with this. (laughs) (laughs) It would be like a real lesson. Don't be dumb. Don't be an idiot. Uh, but no, then Struth tries to offer Jenny a chance to escape. In their language, she warns Jenny that Peter has to be executed. And this whole scene, like, Jenny's like, oh no, not Peter, don't kill Peter. And Peter's just seriously in the background whining and making fun of Jenny <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, oh with Eccles. He's dumb. <laughs> oh, go home. Talking to this dinosaur. And like, yeah, just Jenny, just let let him go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't even know Akito. <laughs> or Japanese. Um, not a huge loss. Um, or Mutata. Then a tiny Godzilla shows up. The Garrix. Jenny points at it. It explodes in half. Was this ever explained? There was a time storm. Oh, okay, okay, time storm. all right, yeah. I see. And it also other things happen like at the same time they look over and there's part of a castle with the random guy on top over there. And then they look over there and there's like a tower of snow and then it's all gone immediately. Okay. Messed with time too much. Too many butterflies. Time storms. So then this was when uh, this kind of changes the Mutata's plan because they need to rethink this before they immediately execute kids they're really afraid of jenny i think she's a mage yeah she just exploded this little godzilla in front of them 
So Struth goes to seek her exiled mentor to get her help to save these kids and then to let them escape back to their time through the floating stones, which is the path. Yeah, the mentor was exiled because she believed there were multiple paths and different ways to do things. She's also old and blind, and they bring her to the elder of the tribe, who's also pretty ancient. She challenges him to face off in combat, and... um, She does a pretty cool thing. This was a pretty cool part of the book. Yeah. She breaks the rules of the path that you're supposed to follow, and... um, and basically threatens to kill both of them. Kind of envelops him in a death hug, basically. Yeah. The elder of the tribe backs off. And then it just ends? Yeah. That's so, it. Oh, yeah. 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 Now back to Aaron and Travis. Aaron and Travis, when they leave 1992, they end up in the past. Things are really goofed up. Then they go to the future. And it seems like it's all weird monsters. There's some pretty weird monsters. Aaron demands that they go back to the 90s just to be sure, and they do, and what do you know, it's also messed up. And then there's a wind monster who's a tornado with a face, and then he turns into a wizard named Mundo. So (laughs) it's been alternating in the book, and this is like halfway through, and this is when I realized, oh, this book is going to (laughs) suck. And... At this time, I also realized there's not going to be a satisfying end to this book. It's going to go on and on forever. Yeah, it's pretty late to introduce this character. Yeah. (laughs) It's like one of the bad Next Generation episodes, this whole thing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Picard's down there, and it's like, he thinks different from humans. We have to figure it out without killing him. Uh Uh-huh. Mundo takes their time machine away from them, and they're left to basically slowly die in the snow for a chapter. Um, But then... Like a horrible, goofy, trickster creep of a character. He reads minds. Yeah. But in, like, a freaky way. It feels real weird when he touches (laughs) your mind. Um, so somehow they still manage to trick him, even though he reads minds. That's how they trick him. Uh, Yeah. If I think correctly, (laughs) I'll trick him. (laughs) It's like the cosmozoids all over again. (laughs) Aaron's got those mysteries of the Orient. Yeah. They trick Mundo into getting back into the time machine to go with them to the past. Yeah, Aaron's mental powers are definitely very highlighted in this chapter. I'm still reeling from the whiplash of this book where we're in, like, the past with dinosaurs, and then we're in the future, and there's a wizard that controls all of the planet that they reads minds, <laughs> and they have to fight him. Yeah, he's connected to, like, a, a world mind. It's like I've read books like this before where we switch back and forth between, you know, different perspectives, different places and chapters. I feel like I always kind of gravitate towards like one specific, you know, chapter type setting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, really excited when I get back to that chapter. (laughs) In this book, I was like, well, here we go. (laughs) Every chapter switch wasn't really that excited to switch between. All the same. All of the versions of the future that Travis and Aaron visit were kind of dumb. 
but they still felt better or like they made more sense than the Bradbury version. Well, because they were in the future. Oh, you just mean that there was a lot of change instead of just one little change. Yeah, like the one butterfly is not going to lead to everything being exactly the same and the same people being born, but the wrong person wins the election or something. Like, it's more believable that we'd end up in 2205 and there's monsters everywhere. But I was going to ask, do they... I may be forgetting it, but do they go anywhere that isn't just a post-apocalyptic future? Like, do they end up in any future where it's not just full of monsters and a horrible, barren landscape? No. Okay. That's what I thought. Different versions. 100% horrible, barren landscape monsters. Makes more sense to me. I think it also just fits better with the time travel story because they're a significant amount of time from the catalyst that changes everything. Like, the biggest disconnect for me is why there are dinosaurs with language and weapons yes. and stuff. But as I'm saying this, is Stephen Lee positing that dinosaurs did have culture? And that's not a time I travel thing. I was thinking about that, but then, like, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It would be a pretty big jump to also have that, but he did add a wizard. So. And there's a lot more books in this series. So. <laughs> so <laughs> so we have something else to write about. about. Oh, yeah. 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 Sorry, I sidetracked you. Okay, so they get Mundo into the time machine in ape form and bring him back. And. Why didn't he pick Mundo form? Why didn't he, he pick wizard form? He didn't like Mundo form. <laughs> but he liked ape form. Yeah. And in ape form, he's even more annoying. <laughs> but once they remove him to the past, he loses his world mind powers and he's helpless. And they still continue to put up with him for some reason. Yeah, just hit him in the head with a rock. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess they find a way to send him back to his time. He basically begs Aaron so much that Aaron was like, no, I'm going to do my thing first, like four or five times. And there's pages of Mundo freaking out <laughs> and begging Aaron to take him home, take him home. And finally, Aaron just goes, okay, sure. But <laughs> they're like sending him home to a time that they're about to destroy anyway. Right. <laughs> Okay, so then they're in the past, the futures are destroyed, they have no idea what they're going to do, and there's a time storm. Aaron ends up perfectly back at home. Yeah. Except Jenny and Peter are still trapped in Mutata times. So there's like a part where like he sees a figure on the porch of his house and it like doesn't tell you what it is. So I imagine the first line of the next book dinosaur planet is it turns around and it's a, like a dinosaur with <laughs> but like with like a mustache and glasses like his grandpa everything's exactly the same but grandpa carl is a dinosaur a little different <laughs> yeah the ending was written like a feel-good hero movie where like i can picture the shot of him standing in the field and aaron says all right when he gets back <laughs> like a little 18 year old kid that he is and I can see him standing there in this field just going, all right. The music swells and he, he shouts like, Grandpa Carl, you won't believe what I saw. And he goes running back. I can see that. But also everything that he experienced was like horrible and just disastrous. So what is he going to tell Grandpa Carl? You won't believe what I saw. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> 
But there's no ending for, for Jenny's time. Yeah. It's not really an ending for his either. No, they just... Stephen Lee wrote himself into a corner and didn't know what to do, so he threw in a time storm. <laughs> time storm. <laughs> he could have set himself up for something where it's like, oh, just go back in time and stop yourself from changing things, but that didn't work out. But then you'd be in the same place as yourself, and that can happen. <laughs> or not. Uh, Unknown. Aaron has to go back in time and make sure Eccles crushes the butterfly and their future is ruined, <laughs> but nothing else happens after that. They also have to make sure the dinosaurs pour in through the thing and Travis comes in, but they have to kill Travis so he doesn't go back time in time storm. again. <laughs> what about the dinosaurs? They just have to time live. Time storm! <laughs> they just live with dinosaurs. That's yeah. their life now. Oh my God. How many books are in this series? Oh my god, there's one called Dinosaur Samurai. <laughs> Who wrote that one? Stephen Lee, of course. Oh my god. Right. What are you talking about? Of course. Dinosaurs all learn Aikido, and then we're really <laughs> in trouble. Oh no. Wait. Yeah, there are six, and they're all by Stephen Lee. Just imagine all the wizards and things he adds. The next one is called Dinosaur Planet. Then we have Dinosaur Samurai, Dinosaur Warriors, Dinosaur Empire, and Dinosaur Conquest. Dinosaurs just take over the future. All appear to have the same characters. Peter never dies. Story. Ooh, I don't see Peter Gotta live in with the next Peter book. for six more books. Oh, God. <sighs> and that's the end. Did you have any additional thoughts about Dinosaur World? What about the, the Mutata language? Uh, did your copy have a glossary? You yes. Did. did yours? <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> I actually l- used it once. Me too. Or twice. I, I assumed they mattered. it mattered more like later when he stops using the English language and it's all written in oh, Mutata. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's also some times when the words are written differently than they are right. in the glossary. Not sure if that was supposed to just be like we're experiencing what Jenny hears and it's not quite the same. Did either of you read the Dinotopia books as kids? Oh. I didn't. I I think I looked at them. I yeah. Them. Well, because the first one was just a picture book. Yeah. But then they made novels. And this just kind of seems like, di- like low rent Dinotopia. Hmm. Did the dinos in Dinotopia have such a well-developed society? Well, humans and dinosaurs lived in harmony. Oh, okay. And it wasn't time travel. There was just a magical island in the ocean somewhere. I mean, they're probably not very good, but when I was in middle school, it was huge. Everyone had the Dinotopia books. I think that Ray Bradbury wanted to write a story about time travel concepts, and Stephen Lee wanted to write a story about sentient dinosaurs. And I was thinking, like, how do you fix this? And I felt like there were moments with Jenny and Struth that were worth salvaging from this mm-hmm. book. But it's like, first of all, cut Peter, because he <laughs> sucks. Definitely. Cut the Aaron, Travis, and Moodno subplot, because it sucks. Yeah, that was pretty not necessary. And Aaron could have taken the place of Peter, and he could have just been, like, not as good as learning the language, not constantly making fun of Jenny for attempting to learn it. But what if if Aaron and Jenny 
broke up right before the start of this. And then, so like Jenny doesn't like him and he's kind of shitty. And then they get forced back in time into this horrible situation. And then they slowly like learn to love each other again <laughs> and get back together. Wow. That would have added something <laughs> interesting to the characters. It's kind of sad because throughout the Jenny Peter section, Jenny's like, oh, I wish Aaron was here. I'm stuck with shitty Peter. Yeah. And then the whole Aaron section like doesn't mention Jenny once. Yeah. And he gets back. <laughs> his grandpa carl and he's like mundo takes the shape of jenny oh, for I a moment that part. he's like that's weird. and he's like oh it's not jenny that's pretty much the only mention that's true i forgot about that yeah then he should have cut the the entire butterfly effect theme from this because it wasn't necessary he didn't do anything interesting with it just blundered his way into a time storm yeah a time storm happens right as aaron breaks up with jenny <laughs> now they're in the past with dinosaurs and for some reason they talk and have spears how are they going to solve this problem yeah that would have been great I would read that. I would totally read sub-stories with just the dinosaur, just the Mutata yeah. characters about their society and their life and yeah. what they do. In the little drawing insert, there is a picture of a typical Mutata dwelling, and there's like a little family scene going on in there, which is pretty adorable. It's like yeah. a, a tiny baby dinosaur is getting, I think, like a little piece of armor handed to him. And it's like, this, this picture with the house and the dinosaur family, I would read this book. It, yeah. It'd be cool if it was just pictures, glossary, maybe a couple short stories yeah. in the world, and I would love it. Yeah, and I would even be fine with Stephen Lee's writing of it because I thought that that was fine. Yeah. It was, it was enjoyable parts. The Struth chapters were the best parts of it. I did want to mention that this uh, sketchbook is called A Record of My Adventures by Aaron Cofield, but Aaron was not in the Mutata time. Oh, Jenny yeah. and Peter were. He didn't see any of this. Yeah, and there's also little notes like written on the drawings, <laughs> like his noting about wow. like what the village looks like and why the buildings may be how they are. Yeah, he didn't see any of that at all. So do you think that those are maybe drawn from a later book where Aaron does go back to save Jenny? The problem is a lot of the things that don't make sense in this book can just be explained by maybe it happens in another book. <laughs> but what I'm guessing is... The things aren't resolved or explained, but actually just more things are added in the later books. Ugh. Especially if there's six of them and they're all like 300 pages like this one. And if one of them has dinosaur samurai. Right. Yeah, the pictures depict stuff that happened in this book, so. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, well, who do you think this book is for? The Peters of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I would say very young kids. They're not going to get so bogged down in all the garbage. If they can get past the first couple chapters, I do think kids would like it. Even the Mundo parts. <laughs> Especially the Mundo parts. <laughs> got, got a silly way of talking. And I think a little kid might read all of them, and like the whole series of books, and then, you know, as an adult, try to reread them and realize how rough they were. Yeah, if you still haven't picked a book for your book report that's due next week, <laughs> this might be the book for you because it's also full of similes, onomatopoeia. You could put that in your book report. The uh, the analogies and stuff, like, there weren't any that really stood out as being too crazy. There were just so many. 
Well, I think that's it for Dinosaur World, for Ray Bradbury Presents Dinosaur <laughs> World. If you'd like to join us next month, we are reading Fire Ship by Joan D. Vinge. You can contact us at dumpsterbookclub at gmail.com or join our group on Goodreads. <laughs>